Matthew chapter 5, we are continuing in uh, this wonderful gospel. And so now we're getting into really the introduction of the meat of the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we uh, looked at the teaching from Jesus that his disciples, his people, those who are in Christ are salt of the earth and light to the world. Now let's continue in this wonderful text about what God is using his gospel for. If you're able to stand in reverence for the reading of God's word, let's read this wonderful passage. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, ending in verse 20. Jesus is now teaching what God's intent was in the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Dear God, we do thank you for your word. And sometimes, Father, we mistakenly think that you are a God that demands obedience. And you do. But the way we understand that command of obedience in a, in a secular, worldly way is much different than what you call us to. God, Satan has used your word to twist our minds to think that you are an overbearing ogre of a lawmaker. But instead, Lord, you are a loving God, a strict yet firm God, a righteous and just God. But you love us and you want to change us so that we follow your word and follow your law not out of obligation, but out of loving willingness and submission. Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us through your Son, Jesus Christ, here as he's teaching through this Sermon on the Mount. He is showing us the bigger picture of your gospel. And I pray, God, that everyone in this room right now, all who are listening to these words, would that you would enlighten them through your Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate the truth of your word, that you do not call us out of fear and trembling to obey, but out of willing obedience and adoration to obey. There's a reason you gave the law in the Old Testament, and there's a reason that you sent your Son to fulfill it. And I pray, God, today you would show us what that looks like. May your gospel be glorified. May your glory be honored here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. It's unfortunate that there are too many who come to Christ for salvation and they're misled into thinking that they're free from the burden of obeying God's word. You ever heard of that? If you come to Christ, you're free from the law. You can live however you wish. And unfortunately, too many people are misled this way. They're taught that if you just come to Christ, you're no longer obligated under the burden and the weight of God's law. And then they 
come to Christ and they, they continue to live the way they always lived before. Actually, probably even worse, because now they feel liberated and free to live any which way they want because they're now free in Christ. And it is sad that people are misled in that teaching because teachers of the church, or perhaps people who do not know the word at all, don't fully understand what Christ is teaching here. You see, the same mindset of freedom from God's law must have been the same mindset that Jesus was dealing with here. It was, it was a mindset that plagued the people of his day because Jesus here is addressing a misunderstood perception of the redemption that God speaks about through his word and through his law. And Jesus is wise here in, in his teaching because he is actually the fulfillment of the Old Testament law pointing to a Messiah, pointing to the day that God would bring his Messiah to the people and he would reside with his people forever. And so people who are listening to Jesus' sermon here clearly were anticipating the fulfillment of all the Mosaic law and the prophets who were prophesying that there would come a day of a great leader and a great Messiah, God's chosen, who would come and restore His people. And they may have even come thinking that there's some new revelation that they were witnessing. And Jesus, yes, He's giving a a new revelation, but really it's more of a fulfillment of all of the prophecies of old. It was nothing added to God's Word. It was a completion of God's Word. And Jesus is saying, all of the prophecies of old, you're staring at the one that they were talking about. And so Jesus here is very wise in His wording. Verses 17 through 20 of chapter 5 here that we're looking at today serves really as an introduction to a very significant section of the Sermon on the Mount. It's known as the, uh, you have heard that it was said passages. So today is really just kind of the introduction to the rest of chapter 5, where Jesus is going to take misunderstandings of the Mosaic law and of the prophets and say, here's what it looks like. Here's what is really meant here. And so what Jesus is teaching us here this morning about he's coming to fulfill the law And the prophecies of the prophets is setting the stage for some very important teaching moving forward. So what does Jesus address here in these verses? Let's look here at verse 17. Jesus is telling us here in verse 17, very importantly, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I mean, he's he's setting the stage here pretty importantly because there must have been some, some... People murmuring and gossiping around Jesus. Look at this false teacher. He's teaching something that's outside of the traditional law. And they may have even thought that this Messiah who was coming would be someone who would liberate his people from the law. Not just perhaps the burdens of the Mosaic law, but I think maybe uh, a, a confusion here of maybe releasing them from the burden of the Roman occupation law. And so Jesus here is making it very clear that he is not here teaching anything that is contrary to the Mosaic law or the prophets. The minds of many in Jesus' disciples here were undoubtedly in this state of suspense and perhaps maybe some doubt, who is this man that we're listening to? And so he's making it very clear. He's laying out, he's laying out very clearly his mission, his gospel, his message, and he's teaching something here in a very profound way. Many of his disciples may have asked, what is the design here of this kingdom of heaven that Jesus is proclaiming? Is this something radically new? 
Is this something that we can embrace instead of what we've been taught? And so Jesus is addressing these confusions. He's addressing any misunderstandings and making it very clear. Jesus now declares that his teaching is anything far from being in disagreement from the law. He's making it very clear here that he is not doing something in contra- and that is contradictory to the Word of God. He's actually making it very clear here in verse 17, I am here to fulfill God's Word, right? There's no doubt This quote-unquote new teaching of Jesus is actually the complete fulfillment of the Mosaic law and all of the prophets of old. He's making it, I'm not teaching anything new is what Jesus is saying. Even though there's a new covenant coming in my blood, as Jesus ushers in the kingdom of heaven, and as he dies on the cross and he rises from the grave, he makes it clear there is a new covenant, but a new covenant is not a replacement of the Mosaic law, nor a replacement of the prophets of old. See what Jesus is saying here? Really what Jesus is introducing here is that this teaching of his, Jesus' introduction of the gospel message, is actually the fulfillment of many prophecies, but more particularly the prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 31. Verses 33 through 34 is, I think, really what Jesus is pointing to. If you want to turn there, Jeremiah chapter 31, and we can think about this at the end of the Beatitudes as Jesus is speaking here at uh, chapter 5, verse 12. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jeremiah would be a key prophet that he would be referring to here. And Jeremiah's prophecy in chapter 31 of Jeremiah says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Remember the words of the great prophet here. That that would have been looking forward to a great time when God's law, His good news, His redemption story, his claim of holiness and righteousness and his claim of I'm going to be with my people, I'm going to forgive their sins no more. That would have been a look a a season of hope that God's people would have been looking forward to. And now Jesus is actually pointing out here, I am here to fulfill this prophecy. I'm not here to abolish the law, but I am here to fulfill the fact that God is establishing a new covenant where he's going to be with his people and he's going to forgive their iniquity. And he's going to actually change their hearts. He's going to, my people are going to sin no more, not because they don't have to follow the law, but because I'm going to change them and I'm going to reside within their very being. I'm going to be in their hearts with them and I'm going to cleanse them and make them new. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. He's not here to abolish the law of the prophets. He's clarifying any confusion. I'm here to fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah. These are the words that Jesus means when he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. Now let's look here at verse 18. Jesus now continues as he's, he's, he's making sure there's no confusion, making it very clear what he's teaching. Now verse 18 he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What does Jesus mean here in verse 18? First of all, what is an iota and what is a dot? We know in, as we write in our language, hopefully you learned in elementary school when you're writing your letters, what do you do with your eyes? 
Anybody remember who's been out of school for a while? You got to put a dot over the I, right? Anybody ever get marked off on that in school whenever you were doing your handwriting, right? You get marked off on that? Yeah. Jesus, but think about this, the dot over the letter I seems to be very insignificant, but your English teachers definitely let you know that that dot was important, didn't it? The iota here is speaking about the Greek letter I. The iota is the smallest of the Greek symbols in the letter of the alphabet of the Greek, uh, the Greek alphabet. And, and it seems insignificant, but without that iota, you don't have the complete word. And so Jesus is clearly in teaching here in verse 18 that the stability of the Mosaic law and the stability of the prophecies of old is going to be firm. In other words, Jesus here is speaking that the new covenant that he's establishing will be firm and it is not insignificant. Everything must be accomplished before this is complete, but it will stand forever. So the design of Jesus here was to teach that the truth of the law and every part of it, every dot, every tittle, every iota, every insignificant point of it that you think is insignificant, every part of the law matters. No matter how small, no matter how insignificant we may think it is, Jesus says it matters. And it's important for what I'm doing. I'm here to fulfill every little part, every small part, every big part of the law. Jesus is saying here in verse 18, I'm here. And the truth that I am teaching here is stable, it is secure, and nothing will come against it. Nothing will cause it not to be. Nothing will stop it. Nothing will make it fall. Nothing will cause it to go away. What Jesus is speaking here, the fulfillment of the law is stronger than anything anyone has ever heard or believed. So in other words, what Jesus is saying here is that, that the sooner heaven comes into being, even if the world falls to pieces and the whole world collapses, and even though there may be mass confusion and instability around us, the fulfillment of the law and the new covenant that Jesus brings here, the gospel message that he preaches is going to survive everything. And it will not pass away. The phrase shall not pass away here refers not to our lives passing away, but rather to the perfect truth of God's word. It will not die. It will not go away. It will be stable forever and ever, and nothing will cause it to crumble. Nothing will cause it to fall. For truly I say to you, he says in verse 18, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. It's an eschatological meaning here. It's an end times reference here. The world, the earth may fall. The earth, it will eventually fade away. But until the time of the fulfillment of the law, nothing will cause it to stop. In other words, the kingdom of heaven will be complete for as long as it takes. And the kingdom of heaven will be established and be firm for as long as it takes, even to the very ends of our age, even to the very end of the earth, it's going to be here. Amen. Let's look here at verse 19. Verse 19 is a very significant verse because Jesus now kind of lays out the consequences of the law. Do we have consequences for obedience? Do we? Yeah. Husbands, we know, right? If we, we have consequences, don't we, husbands? Yes, ma'am. Yes, dear. Whatever you need, dear. 
Children, we know the consequences of obeying our parents. We know the consequences of obeying our authorities. Those, everybody here has a job, right? You have the, you know the consequences even of following what the boss wants. There are consequences even to following God's word. And Jesus here lays out some very important aspects here of, of, of obeying God's word. There are consequences here. There are consequences for weakening the importance of the law, and there are consequences for obeying the law. Look here in verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. If Jesus was coming to abolish the law, he would not go to the steps here in verse 19 to show what the consequences are of obedience. You see what I'm saying? Look here at what he says here. The Mosaic law is God's truth. The Mosaic law is God's truth. God established the Mosaic law, his eternal word, and it continues to stand as a witness of who he is. It continues to stand as a witness of his grace. It continues to stand as a witness of who God is to his people. Yet there's two means here by which to observe and to think about the law. You see, before the coming of Christ, the Mosaic law was spoken of uh, by the prophets as pointing to Christ yet to come. See, when the prophet, even the Old Testament prophets, when they were speaking and they were prophesying, nothing that they prophesied contradicted the Mosaic law. It all points to one thing. It all points to Christ. Now, the way that the Old Testament was considered to be uh, obeyed was out of a literal following of the law. Yet after Christ, after he comes on the scene, he begins to teach the bigger picture here. We have what we call the letter of the law, and we have what we call the spirit of the law. And the way that people followed the Old Testament law, they followed it literally. In other words, the the emphasis was on the letter of the text. Yet Jesus is now coming on the scene here in verse 19, and he's pointing out something that there is a bigger picture at play here, and I'm going to tell you the proper way to teach and to follow this law. If one were to actually weaken the importance of the law, they're actually weakening the importance of the fulfillment of Christ. Think about this. Jesus is speaking to teachers of the religious law. And he's also te- speaking to those who follow the teachings. He's, com- he's condemning those who relax the importance of the law, and he's commending those who follow the law. He declares in these words that anyone who diminishes the importance of God's word and Christ who fulfills God's law here are actually false and deceitful teachers, right? Paul in his New Testament letters repeatedly warns against the smooth tongues of false prophets and teachers, right? Has anybody ever been uh, taken in by a smooth salesman? They, They talk eloquently and they convince you to buy something that you really didn't need to begin with, but oh boy, isn't that great? Anybody guilty of that? (laughs) Can false teachers, deceitful teachers of God's Word do the same? Can they be so smooth in their tongue, in the words that they use, that they can deceive those who are eager to understand in such a way that they no longer follow God's Word, they go down a false path? Jesus is making something pretty clear here. That if you follow, that if you relax the importance of God's word, woe to you. 
You're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if he's emphasizing here the, the importance of the authority of God's word, the importance of Christ's authority as fulfilling that word. And he's saying that if you relax the commandments, if you relax the importance and the significance of it, then you will be least in the kingdom of heaven. But if you obey correctly, and if you teach them correctly to others, you're actually going to be elevated to the greatest level of the kingdom. You see, Jesus here lauds the obedient heart. He lauds here the, uh, the obedience of teachers in the church and those who are faithful in the church to obeying the law of Moses here, but because Jesus himself is fulfilling it. See, if the, if the law of Moses and obeying it truthfully means obeying the commands of Christ, it's the same thing. And this is the miraculous outcome of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. What's Jesus pointing to here? This is the main point that he's getting to. In other words, in order to obey the law well, to obey the fulfillment of the gospel well, means that you are obedient to the point that your heart is transformed and changed at the moment of salvation to where you will obey the law of God not out of obedience, but out of, I mean, not out of obligation, but out of willing desire. How many people actually willingly desire to obey God? Versus how many people are scared into obeying God? You see the difference here? Jesus is coming to fulfill the the law and to fulfill the prophecies of old so that the prophecy of Jeremiah will be fulfilled that we obey the law of God not out of fear and obligation, but we obey the law of God willingly. What does that look like? Flip over to Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul really unpacks this very well. Romans chapter 6 helps us, okay? Romans chapter 6, verse beginning, let's begin in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. See, this was a confusion in the church. If Christ has come, we are no longer bound by the law. We can live each other any way we want. We can continue to sin because we're free under grace. You ever heard that? I like to call it greasy grace. Has anybody ever heard that term before? Right? You come to Christ, you continue to live in sin because you're forgiven. That's a false teaching. Let me repeat this in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, baptism is this sign that we have died to our old sinful self and we are raised just like Christ was raised from the dead and we are now new in Christ. There is no desire to sin. Well, a lessened desire. We're still struggling with that. That's a, that's, that's a deeper meaning right there. It's not that we're free from sin because we no longer sin. How many people here in this room have sinned? How many people sinned this morning before you came to church? Nobody wants to confess. Just one or two people want to confess that, right? (laughs) We're still in this struggle, even as God's people. We know that we have been redeemed. We have been forgiven of our sin, but we're still in a sinful world until we go to heaven and be with our Lord. There's going to be this constant battle. We're going to be sorrowful for our sin. We're going to be repentant of our sin, and we're going to continue to grow in grace 
But that doesn't mean that we continue to sin so that grace may abound. Paul, Peter, I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul here is clearly expanding on what Jesus is teaching. We obey out of our heart. Flip down, go on down here to verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 15. Let's go up down to verse 15 of Romans chapter 6. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Verse 17, if you underline anything in your Bible, underline verse 17, circle it, highlight it, mark it. Here's what he says. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What Jesus is speaking about here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, is that there is a change of heart that does, that causes people to willingly obey the word, not out of fear and obligation, but out of desire. You see the difference there. And Jesus is saying in his Sermon on the Mount that I am here to proclaim this is the fulfillment of what Jeremiah said would come. You see, if we do not willingly desire righteousness, we're not righteous. If we only follow the Word of God and the law of God in order to appear righteous or to earn righteousness, we're not righteous. But if Christ cleanses us of our sins, if we are made new in Him, Scriptures show us very clearly there's a new life in us, and it's the Spirit of Christ Himself making us new people. <laughs> and we know, and our own desires change. Now, we're going to continue to struggle as we live in this sinful world. That's a given. But our desire is for Christ, our desire is for the Lord. Amen. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying here? I think maybe Jesus is taking a subtle jab here at the scribes and the Pharisees of his day. <laughs> you see that in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5? I can imagine that this Sermon on the Mount with the many crowds around listening, they were the, the, the faithful, the ones who were eager to learn, to see what this new uh, teacher had to say. But then there were in the crowd, we know this throughout most of the Gospels, that the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders, they would show up, every now and then, for no other purpose but to see what they could trap Jesus with. And look what Jesus is saying here in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a, I don't know if it's a subtle jab or a direct jab. <laughs> I don't know what, he, I mean, he's clearly addressing them. Because by this time in Jesus' teaching ministry, many of the religious leaders and the establishment there were actually questioning his credibility. Who is this new prophet on the scene, right? Um, they would... Actually, probably in the, go around in the background and disparage Jesus and his ministry by comparing Jesus' teaching really as a stain upon the Mosaic law. This new teacher here, he is, he's, he's flaunting the Mosaic law. 
He's poisoning it. He's dirtying up what God's Word tells us. And so Jesus here is correcting all of that. In other words, the gospel that Jesus is preaching here really is the very truth that the law and the prophets point to. And that's what Jesus is saying here. These religious leaders want to say that what I'm teaching here is wrong, that it's actually a stain. But what I'm teaching here is the purity, the truth of God's Word. What Jesus is pointing out here is not necessarily the failure here of the personal character of these teachers. Maybe he is, but instead, I think what he's pointing to is he's... He's pointing out their false teaching methods. These religious leaders are teaching false things. Now, that could come out of a corrupt character. It could also come out of just they were taught incorrectly as well. So where the religious leaders here focused on this outward expression of obedience, what is Jesus saying? Jesus, instead, he's focusing on the inward change of the sinner, not to just follow the law and do the law, but to be the image of Christ that he's pointing out here and to be this new heart that God makes happen within us. And so Jesus here, he removes this false and perverse interpretation of the law because what these teachers were doing, they were interpreting the law and they were interpreting the prophecies of old in the wrong way. And Jesus here in verse 20 is saying, you must look at the truth of God's word. You must look at the Mosaic law. You must look at the prophecies of old in a more pure way than the scribes and the Pharisees do. That's what he's saying. And what Jesus is doing here, he's openly exposing the hypocrisy. He's openly exposing this false approach to interpretation. He's opening, he's, he's showing that the, the teaching here is flawed and that it is extremely dangerous for any religious teacher to actually claim anything that God doesn't say. Because part of the problem with the Pharisees is that they actually claimed that they had a special insight into the Word of God. <laughs> they claimed that they could understand things in the Mosaic Law that the common people could not. That's a very dangerous place to be. Has anybody ever being confronted by somebody who says they have a new revelation of God's Word. I'm going to add to God's Word. The Pharisees here, in their desire to be loyal to God's law, actually reinterpreted it and elevated themselves with some secret knowledge. And Jesus here is saying this is false. you got to have a better righteousness than this. Turn with me to Psalm 19. We're going to close with this. I want to close out here and remind us here what Jesus is saying. And he's actually emphasizing here what Psalm 19 tells us. Psalm 19 reminds us here of the purpose of the law. Beginning in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous together. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Verse 11, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 19 verse 11 helps us understand what the purpose of God's law is. The Mosaic law and the prophecies of the prophets were actually intended to be guards. They were guardians until Christ's coming. Not His second coming, His initial coming. The Mosaic Law was intended to be a a protection until Christ were to come. 
It says, moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. What does it mean that the law is a guardian until Christ comes? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make, the, make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, if you were taught the Mosaic law... God intended the Mosaic Law to be that which pointed you to the salvation of Jesus Christ, to point you to the one Savior who could actually redeem you. It was never intended to be a a list of a rule book to follow or else. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul reminds us here that you've been taught these things. From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, he says, because they point to something bigger. And then Paul in Galatians chapter 3 reminds us of this. Flip over to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to close with this one. Galatians chapter 3, because this helps us understand, more importantly, what Jesus is saying and what uh, Psalms is telling us about that the law was a guardian. Galatians chapter 3. Here we go. Galatians chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 19. Paul teaches us here in verse 19. This is a dealing of the law. Why should we follow the law? Why should we follow the righteousness of Christ? And Paul is saying here in Galatians chapter 3 beginning in verse 19. Why then the law? He says, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Now, drop down here to verse 23. What we see here in the first verses we read is that the law had a purpose. In verse 23, he says, makes it more clear. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith, would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. You see that in verse 24? Until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This idea of the guardian here in verse 23 and 24, the law was our guardian until Christ came. The idea of guardian here actually is the idea of education. So the Mosaic law was intended as a form of education. It was an educator for the people pointing them to the Christ that was to come. Matter of fact, the word here in verse 24 of Galatians chapter 3 for guardian is the word that we get pedagogy from. Anybody ever heard that word pedagogy? Pedagogy is a method of education. If Thomas Furman were here, you know, he's the principal of Jerry Whitson School, he would understand that word pretty quickly. Pedagogy is the philosophy of education. How do you structure your school? And so the word guardian here actually gives us the word pedagogy. Guardian was intended as a teacher, a tool for learning, until the fulfillment of the law were to come. But it's interesting here that Jesus himself has been called this same word, the pedagogos, the one who educates. 
He is, Jesus is our great teacher. He's our great educator. He is the one who now fulfills this original method of, of learning, this original pointing to the fulfillment of God's word, the fulfillment of God's gospel. This guardian of the law has been fulfilled in Christ. We no longer need the guardian. We no longer need to be guarded from our errors because we now have Christ who can show us our errors. You see that? Jesus can now show us the truth and the light of the gospel. Now, does this mean that we toss out the Mosaic word? No. The Mosaic law still has value. Jesus makes that clear. And that value is in Him, Jesus Christ Himself, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. So as we close out here, I want you to really ponder something here for a minute. How many of us have been following Christ for any length of time and we realize that we may have gotten into a little bit of a rut? Does anybody ever feel like that? And perhaps we feel guilty that we're not honoring Christ because we're not doing things right. If we're not, then we are in error. If we are not living Christ-like lives, then we are clearly in error. But are we obligated out of fear to be better? Or are we, do we already have the method, the means to be Christ-like already? If Christ has forgiven us and He is in us and we are new in Christ, do we not already have that which is necessary to be righteous? Because we know we're not, right? And so we submit under the one who is righteous, Jesus Christ Himself, and we Follow Him out of willing desire, not out of fear. Because that's the beauty of the gospel. The genuine Christian realizes there's absolutely nothing we can do to be righteous. There's absolutely nothing we can do to be good. But it is the blood of Christ that covers our sin. And we lean in and we depend on and we trust His righteousness. That's the fulfillment of the law that Jesus is talking about here. He's saying in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, I am here to fulfill the law. I will be your covering. I will be the one that pays the price for your sin. I will be the sacrifice so that you will no longer be obligated to sacrifice. You see where he's going here? And so that's the core of faith. We trust that Jesus is complete, that He has done it all. Amen? Jesus Himself has paid the price necessary for all sin. There is no longer any need for us to go to the altar and sacrifice an animal, hoping that God might have favor for us. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Through faith, we trust that Jesus is enough. Through faith, we trust that Jesus has it all done, and He's got us in His arms, and He's loving us, and He's directing us, and He's guiding us. And when we stumble and we fall and we get dirty, (laughs) He's right there to pick us up. He says, let's do better. I'm right here with you. Amen. So as we close out today, let me ask you this. In Psalm 19, verse 14, we read this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Are the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart, in other words, are your words and your thoughts acceptable to the Lord? That can only be purified through Christ who purifies our inner being, makes us clean inside and out. 
So the humble disciple of Christ, the humble Christian, you're going to have a greater righteousness in the kingdom of heaven than that self-proclaimed righteousness of the religious leaders that Jesus was kind of stabbing here. Are the words of your mouth and the thoughts of your heart purified and righteous before God? The only way that can happen is the fulfillment of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Let's trust Him. Amen? Amen. Let me close this in prayer. Dear God, we thank You for Your Word. And I pray, God, that You would wake us up and cause us to see the beauty of Your Gospel. To cause us to see that we realize that there's no way that we could fulfill all of the requirements of Your Word because the law demands too much of us. And you don't do that to crush us. The demands of your holiness and righteousness can only be fulfilled as God, you fulfill it through your Son, Jesus Christ. And for that, God, we're thankful. For that, God, we praise you. And for that, God, we're here today. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to see where our faith needs to be, that we trust in Jesus Christ, that he has paid the price that the law demands. And I pray, God, that you would change us and you would continue to mold us and you would continue to shape us into the people that you want us to be and that you would cover us with the blood of your Son and that you would cleanse us and purify us through the process to where we could obey willingly and bring you pleasure. I thank you, Father, that you do have favor for us even though we don't deserve it. And through the blood of your Son, we have hope and we thank you for that. I pray, God, anyone here who is listening to these words, who do not know your Son, Jesus Christ, anyone who does not know salvation through the blood of Christ, Lord, that you would love them, you would pour your heart out to them, your spirit would fill them with your presence, and you would let them know how much your grace covers them, and that they would turn to your Son, Jesus Christ, on that cross and realize that there's no way they could satisfy the debt for their sin. Lord, I pray that the words of your son Jesus in Matthew 5 ring true, that he is the fulfillment of the law. There's nothing more that we need do yet trust him and submit to him and receive that gift of forgiveness and become new. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.